All right, so like Doug said, we've kind of been in a mini-series on generosity. And uh, I'm just going to warn you, this is probably the longest sermon I've ever written. Y'all know I already preached like 40 minutes anyway. This is twice as long as what I normally do. So listen, praying pews make preaching easy, okay? So get to praying, and we won't be here all night. So we are, we're doing a mini-series on... <laughs> Our generosity and Doug really impressed upon us that when we are giving to the Lord, one, it's not just our money, it's our time, it's our talent and our treasure. And that when we give, it should cost us something. We had the example of King David who was getting ready to offer a sacrifice but didn't have nothing to offer to the Lord. And somebody provided the means for the sacrifice. And he was like, no, it's free of charge, just take it. And David said, I'm not going to bring the Lord anything that costs me nothing. So that's a good value for us to have. Generosity requires sacrifice. Linda, you don't have to keep playing. I'm not going to say nothing. Thank you. I told him I might have a sermonic selection, but this sermon is too long for that. So, um, so yes, uh, we're not going to give anything to God that doesn't cost us anything. However, I would love for us to look into generosity on a community level. If I had a big idea or a main point, I would say communal generosity leads to communal renewal and communal joy. So when Doug was handing out the sermons, he was like, make sure you talk about joy this week. And I was like, hmm, I usually dabble in suffering, sacrifice, and sin. Those are my sermons. So, uh, despair. <laughs> so it's actually been a little bit of a challenge, but also like a great gift to bring the word and God promises us joy. And so there's supernatural fruit from, from generosity. And some of that fruit is supernatural joy. So we're going to get into that today. So at Eastern Fellowship, when we talk about giving, like I said, it's about more than just giving us your coin. Although it is about giving us your coin, we strive to be a community that gives generously of our time, the way we spend it, our, get our talents, like our giftings, and our treasure. We would love to be known throughout the neighborhood, throughout the city as a body that gives generously. But listen, how I would want... I would be asking, how does the neighborhood, how does the city see us? How are we generous? What are we generous in? So allow me to make a suggestion. When we are giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure, we are giving to support the mission of God. And what is God's mission for the church? Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are God's handiwork, called forth to do good works that were prepared for us ahead of time. Well, somebody... What are those good works? I'm glad you asked. I was reminded of the Great Commission from Matthew 28 and 19, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, that is the mission of God for the church, to go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's for the church at large. The specific expression of good works here for East End Fellowships is that we want to provide multiple opportunities for every man, woman, and child in the East End to enter into a discipling relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's our good works that were prepared for us from before the beginning of time to do. And so when we're talking about communal generosity, I'm talking about giving ourselves fully to the good works that Christ has given for us in this place and at this time. Amen? 
Okay. In order to do these good, these good works, there is a presupposition of generosity of heart on behalf of the church. And generosity of heart that models the Father's generosity is sacrificial. It is patient. It is enduring. But thankfully, we're called to do it in community. So it's not just individual generosity. It's not just up to you, but it is up to you. It's up to all the individual yous to make a communal us that need to lean into having generosity of spirit. It's a communal generosity of time, talent, and treasure. And communal generosity is marked by unity of mind and clarity of purpose in a given community. So my big idea, again, is communal generosity yields communal renewal and communal joy. I'll say it one more time. Is it up? Yeah, she got it. Communal generosity yields communal renewal and communal joy. So for us, uh, for a case study today, I would like for us to look at a group of people, a group of God's people that committed themselves to the work of God. We're going to spend some time in the book of Nehemiah. And when I say some time in the book of Nehemiah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to preach 12 chapters of this book, which is why I'm talking kind of fast. And we're just going to jump right in. So if you would pray with me uh, for a moment, Father, in the name of Jesus. We do glorify you and exalt you. We recognize your presence here in this place. We recognize your presence in our hearts, in our lives, and we exalt you. We salute you. We regard you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no one holy but you. There is no one righteous but you. There is no one good but you. Lord, would you have your way in this service this evening? Would you be glorified and enthroned in everything that goes forth, everything that has gone forth? Lord, would your spirit soften our hearts to receive your word that we may respond in loving obedience. And Father, would your word do the work that you have sent for it to do? May your word fall on good ground. And Lord, I ask for you personally that you would just speak through me and any sort of things that I'm missing in style or communication or in preparation that your Holy Spirit would fill in the gap and your Holy Spirit would do the work that it wants to do in the hearts of the people. Our hearts are yours. Our minds are yours. Our bodies are yours. This time is yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay. Now let's talk about communal generosity. So in talking about Nehemiah, I'm just going to run through the story really, really quick. Stick with me, please. So Nehemiah had a good paying job, government job in Persia. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. That means he had a palace job, and his job was to drink the king's wine, taste the king's food before the king uh, drank or tasted it, just to make sure nobody had poisoned him ahead of time. So you get really close to a person if you're drinking after them for every single meal. So Nehemiah was a man of some stature, some respect. And it was because technically Nehemiah was in captivity kind of. There were some, this is a, a time when the children, when the Jews were put into exile because they had sinned against the Lord. The Lord was like, listen, if y'all don't get your act together and stop breaking my covenant and stop breaking my promises and oppressing your workers and killing people and being weird, I'm going to send you into captivity. And they were like, no, I don't think that's really going to happen. And then it happened and they were in captivity for 70 years. So Nehemiah was one of the few that remained in Babylon uh, after some exiles were stayed 
had uh, gone back to Jerusalem, gone back to the holy city of God. So Nehemiah was in a position of power. He was in a position of influence. So Nehemiah is at work one day. His brothers come by his job and Nehemiah say, hey, what's up? What's going on? And they say, say uh, Nehemiah says, how's everything going in Jerusalem? Because I'm assuming the brothers had already been to Jerusalem. And they say, say, man, things in Jerusalem are not good. The people are hungry. The, uh, the city is in shambles and the wall is crumbled to pieces. Things have been burned down. The city is left without protection. So Nehemiah at his job falls on his face. The hand of the Lord is upon him and breaks his heart. For, for the state of the city of Jerusalem breaks his heart for the condition of the wall, which was meant to protect the holy city of God. So Nehemiah says, oh, father, would you please allow me to do what I can do to uh, meet this need for my people? And so he's praying, he's fasting, and he's super sad about it. He's mourning and weeping. So he goes before the king to do his job. And the king says, Nehemiah, why are you looking so sad? I've never seen you look like this before. And Nehemiah was like, man, well, um, let me tell you something. This is the state. And so he explains what's going on in Jerusalem. And the king was like, well, what do you want me to do? No problem, because they're boys at this point. He was like, what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah says, well, uh, I would love it if you could give me some time off so I can build that wall. That's a big ask. If you're asking your whole boss for just, I need years off so I can build a wall, that's an incredible ask. So Nehemiah asks, and the Lord gives him favor with the king, and the king is like, absolutely. And Nehemiah is like, bet, I'm about to go. Before I do, though, would you supply everything I need to build the wall? And the king is like, bet. He's like, awesome. Not only that, would you send some soldiers and some horses along with me on the way and just send me some papers so people know that I'm not trying to usurp your authority? Would you let me have all of that and the king is like fine just take it so nehemiah goes on his way he travels back to the city of jerusalem now when i'm talking listen i understand that i am preaching about building a wall in january 2019 i know that i am i just want us to stay focused this is a metaphor okay the wall is representing people committed to the work of God. So here as that, we're saying, we're going to be saying rebuild the wall a lot in here today, but hear it as the work of God. Remember, we're on a mission. The work of God is for us to provide multiple opportunities for every man, woman, and child in the East End to have a discipling relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the wall that's being rebuilt, okay? It's a metaphor. Okay, just I'm just clearing that up. Just, just clearing that up. So, uh... Nehemiah goes on over to um, Jerusalem and he sees that it, things are worse than he could even imagine. And he's broken. So this is what he does. He surveys the damage, but he goes to the people and declares what needs to be done. Nehemiah sets the vision. He says to the people, come and build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I have a slide for this, Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Nehemiah says to the leaders, to the Jews, to the people that are still in Jerusalem, he says, uh, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also 
result of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, and listen, if y'all don't catch nothing else, hear this. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. If y'all don't hear nothing else, they said, the people heard the word, they heard, they saw the vision, and they said, let us rise up and build. And they strengthened their hands for the good work. This is significant. The people of the Lord, the people of the Lord heard the word of the Lord and knew that it pertained to them. And they knew they had to put in some work. They couldn't just say, Nehemiah, it sounds great. Why don't you handle it? I see you got some paid staff with you. Why don't you get to it? No, they, they all said, we're all going to join in and uh, build up the city of Jerusalem from the top on down. Just about everyone committed to getting to work. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, we see that get to work is exactly what they did. You have high priests and you have nobles and leaders and governors and goldsmiths and perfumers and rulers and the everyday average person. They all got to work to repair the wall and the work was significant. The wall was in shambles, but everybody got busy. It was the work of the community towards the same goal. It started with the obedience of one person, but these folks got together, put their hand to the plow, and worked and worked and worked. So we're still talking about communal generosity, but communal generosity requires sacrifice, faithfulness, and perseverance. When we start working as a team, as the Lord expects us and calls us and requires us to do, when we start working as one united body, as a unit, as a squad, there will be opposition. First of all, it's hard to get everybody on the same page, anybody, because everybody got ideas. This is what we should do. This is what, this, blah, 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 this, that, and the third. So it's just hard on a natural level to get everybody to do some one thing. But then anything worth doing is hard. It's hard work building a wall around an entire, thank you, baby. Thank you, Jesus. It's hard work building a wall around an entire city. But not only that, when the enemy sees you start getting busy and start making things right and start being obedient to God, he always got something to say, something to do. So enter the haters. In Nehemiah chapter 4, there are some ginormous haters named Sanballat and Tobiah, and they are some hating folks. I don't know what's going on with them. So listen, they're so messy. I just had to read what they said. Where did I put it? Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, 1 through 3. So Symbolic and Tobiah were governors in the, uh, serving the king of Persia. They were thinking like, well, who was Nehemiah? These people were just attacked and spent 70 years in captivity. Uh, who gave them the authority to do this work? Who gave him the power? Who gave him access to do this work? Surely he's usurping the king's authority. And so uh, Nehemiah 4, 1 through 3 says, I don't have a slide. You just got to listen. It says, now when Sinbalit heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah, his little sidekick said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox walk up there, it's going to crumble and fall. Listen, those are some hating folks. They had nothing to do with what was going on. But Sinbala and Tobiah attack the Jews', the Jews capability, their conviction, and their competence. 
They can start by saying, those feeble Jews, they're a weak people that got conquered anyway. And they start attacking their will and their ability to do the work. Then they attack their conviction. Are y'all going to build by offering sacrifices? Now they're blaspheming the name of the Lord and what the Lord has set up for them uh, as right and good worship. Oh, so y'all going to offer sacrifices as a way to build that wall. Your God didn't protect you when Babylon came and got you in the first place. Are y'all going to worship your way to a wall now? And then they attack their competence. Look at what you're doing. You can't even do it right. A fox walking on that wall will make it crumble. And foxes are relatively light. If a fox is making your wall crumble, you're not, it's not together. So Nehemiah, all he does is he prays about it. But beyond that, he keeps working. He did not let the words of fools distract him, but made his requests known before the Lord and kept on doing what God asked him to do. In verse 6, it says it wasn't only Nehemiah that kept on working. The people kept on working, and they kept building the wall till it reached about half its height because the people had a mind to work. Despite external opposition, the people had a mind to work, and work they did. So and a lot is happening right here. Verses 7 through 12, I'm going to fly through them. So on one hand, the mockers are disappointed that their taunts did not stop the workers, so they decide to escalate. They're like, okay, yeah, you didn't like my jokes, or my jokes didn't scare you. You're gonna, um, we're going to uh, attack you and murder you, so then you won't be able to build, build the wall. So their response is prayer and guarding the city day and night. Nehemiah and those that were working on the wall said, you know what? We're afraid, but we're going to gird up our loins we're going to one continue the work but we're gonna listen we're strapped right now okay if somebody come up on us we got something for them and so for us what does this mean for us y'all uh so the jews are a natural people that represent a natural they were like an expression of the people of god but we are the spiritual people of god so we don't have natural enemies our enemies are not sinbala and tobiah or whoever at work is getting on your nerves it's a spiritual thing we don't wrestle with flesh and blood so what will we do when we're attacked and assailed by the spiritual principalities and powers of this world. Will we bow or will we bend or will we continue to work or will we fight in the spirit to do what the Lord has given for us to do? So the people of God continued to work and they continued to fight despite the threat uh, from despite threats from the outside. But on the other hand, it wasn't just external opposition that was wearing them out. There was fatigue from the inside. And this is so real. They were like, listen, uh, Nehemiah, we're working. The wall is halfway high, but we're tired. There's no way that we can actually finish this. We've been working and working and working. We cannot go on. And that's real. Even though you're doing what God asked you to do, fatigue is real. Just because God asked you to do something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Even without external opposition, there might be something in you that might want to throw in the towel. And the struggle of being caught in the middle of external opposition and internal fatigue is so real. You start to question, did God even tell me to do this? Am I even supposed to Am I with some crazy people right now? It shouldn't be this hard. If this is what God said, it should be accessible. It should just glide straight through. Listen, faith will be fading. It's exciting in the beginning, but now there's not enough to eat. Our backs are hurting. The job is too difficult. Let's just stop. It's impossible. Maybe it was better back in captivity. Listen, all those thoughts will run through your mind. And even in this life right now, Lord, I don't see the change that you said I was going to see. I've given my my entire life to you. I've poured out 
for my neighbors. I poured out for my family. And I'm not seeing no kingdom breakthrough. This is harder than I thought. People are talking about me. People are lying on me. I'm losing faith. People are looking at me like you're not real and I'm supposed to represent you. And I feel like you don't even got my back. I don't have enough to eat. Yo, what's up? Listen, eternal fatigue is real. I'm coming from a real place, y'all. But listen, they cannot stop because if they don't finish the wall, they're vulnerable to attack. They have not yet been fully obedient because the wall is only halfway high. And we saw what happened when they weren't fully obedient in the first place. That's what brought them to Babylon. So y'all, we can't stop either. We've got to keep working. There are still gaps in the wall that need to be filled in. We've got to keep laying the brick in the mortar because it's only halfway to the appropriate height. In verse 14 of of chapter 4, Nehemiah has this really like strong like pep talk. He says, remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sisters and your wives and your homes. Nehemiah arms his workers. He sets them on watches and they're building but they're straps. They did not let their guard down for a moment because when the time of rebuilding happens, the enemy desires to frustrate you before you finish. The enemy does not want you to be fortified because then his access to you is limited. And once you've rebuilt what God has established, you're better suited to be about the father's business. So here's a word for us. Build work, but stay strapped, stay spiritually strong, put on that whole armor of faith so that when the uh, day of evil comes, when the enemy tries to get you with his fiery darts, listen, you can hold up that shield of faith. You got that helmet of salvation. Arm yourself with the community of believers who will pray with you and pray for you and who will remember the name of the Lord when you've forgotten. Nehemiah is calling on the people's collective memory. He says, remember the Lord that brought our ancestors out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember the Lord who swept the heavens and earth into existence. Remember the Lord who called you by name, who made you his people. Remember the Lord who brought you out of exile back into the holy city. Remember the Lord so great that creation testifies of him. Remember the Lord who brought us out of darkness into his glorious light. Remember the Lord for us who brings into us day in and day out. Remember the Lord who strengthens your body. Remember the Lord whose compassions are never ever failing and whose mercies are renewed each and every morning. Remember the Lord in fights. Remember the Lord in work. Remember the Lord and give generously. Uh, give generously of your to your families, to your neighborhoods, to your community, to your church. Remember the Lord. Communal generosity, when everybody joins the work, the work is actually happening, but there's going to be supernatural fruit that is born from communal generosity. So in this story, I'm still in Nehemiah, y'all. I'm about halfway through. So... Not only was there external opposition and internal fatigue, but there was also internal oppression. It got really real in Jerusalem. Because listen... Everybody, I told you everybody from the top down was building. Everybody from the top down was working. The princes, the nobles, the governors, all of them, they were working and doing their part, but there were also people, there were also people who ain't have nothing that were building and were working and were fighting and were building. Had they, you know, uh, machetes on their waist and was hacking people down if it came to it. But listen, some people got to go home and fill their bellies at night and some people went home and was hungry. And that wasn't right. So it's possible. 
Allow me to suggest this to us. It is possible to do the work of the Lord and be complicit in oppression. It is possible to do the work of the Lord and be complicit in the oppression of your co-laborers. Not even just oppression of people out there, oppression of people in here. It's possible to be both obedient and disobedient. Just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean it's all the way right. It's possible to be generous and selfish at the same time. It's possible to be generous and oppressive at the same time. And listen, we might all be doing the great work, but some of us are standing on the necks of others. Some of us have got the heads of other people underneath our heel, and it ought not to be so. Listen, the people, the Jews that were feeling the weight, they were saying, this is not right, this is not fair. They cried out, and Nehemiah was like, you know what? That isn't okay. So Nehemiah marched himself right on up to those rich folks, and he said, y'all need to stop uh, charging these people interest. You're lending to them, and you got your, their sons and daughters enslaved because they can't pay back what they borrowed, and you got their land, you got their storehouses. It's not right. They're working for the Lord, and they can't even feed their families. And then the rich people were like, we've heard the word of the Lord. Amen. And listen. It says, it says in the Bible, the people obeyed what Nehemiah said. They gave back the wine. They gave back the storehouses. They gave back the grains. They gave back the land that they had taken. I mean, it wasn't like they had stolen it. That was what the setup was. Everything they were doing was completely legal. But what they did was they said, you know what? I hear the word of the Lord for right now. And I'm going to make sure my brother and sister, my co-laborer has everything they need. There's no reason that I'm going to bed with a full stomach and their kids are crying out in hunger. It should not be so. And it should not be so in this house either. It should not be so that some of us are full off of the, the trappings of this world. And there are those of us in here who do not have enough to eat, who do not have a place to lay, lay their head, who literally are living in jeopardy of losing their homes, of not feeding their kids. It should not be so in the house of God. Let it not be named among us. I had to get a little bit of sin in there. Or just a little bit, Doug. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mostly, I'm getting to the joy part. Nehemiah 5, 11 and 12 says, return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And the people did as they promised. Listen, a fruit of communal generosity is communal economic renewal. Come on, somebody. A fruit of communal generosity is communal economic renewal. But it's not just economic renewal. Because when the wall was complete, the Jews gathered before the wall, right? They all got together. They assembled as one body, the Bible says. And Ezra, a scribe, stands and reads the word of the Lord. Now, they would not have gathered had the wall not been finished. So listen, this is a fruit of the communal generosity. They gathered before the wall. I'm not really sure why, but I guess they were like, God, listen, the wall is finished. This is a miracle. Not sure how it happened. Let's learn some more about this God who clearly is working on our behalf. So Ezra reads, and the people stand and listen all day. That's where we get the tradition for standing when the word is being read from, uh, from this passage. Ezra reads from the book of the law for hours, and the people stand. And when the people hear the word of the Lord, it says everybody was there. Men, women, men, women and everybody who could understand. Everybody was in the house. They were wrecked. Their hearts were soft enough. They were weeping. They were mourning. They were like, yo, these people have been in captivity. Their ancestors 
ancestors, their uh, grandparents were the ones that were dragged out of uh, Jerusalem and led into captivity in Babylon. And it might have been among the first times that they had heard the word of the word of the Lord read like that in the assembly in the city of God. And they fell to their faces. They mourned and they wept. But Nehemiah says, listen, stop that chill. This day is holy. You don't have to mourn. You don't have to weep. Actually, actually, I want you to get up. I want you to get up, wash your face, and go eat the fat and drink the sweet. That's my favorite scripture. Listen, when the word of the Lord convicts you, honey, go get something good to eat and drink and rejoice. Because that conviction is good. That means that the Lord is with you, who the Father loves you, chastens. So listen, when you're feeling that good conviction, you say, I'm rejoicing you, Father. I'm going to get me something good to eat, and I'm going to change. <laughs> Ezra tells them to rejoice. They eat the fat and drink the sweet. And this is, this is beautiful. He's like, listen, y'all, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The only way you can move forward, the only way you can do anything about this deep conviction that you're feeling is to be strengthened by the joy of the Lord. Listen, y'all, let the Lord, let him sing over you, let him rejoice over you. And y'all in here today, if any of y'all are feeling a little bit convicted about the word that has gone forth, rejoice. Do not mourn, do not weep, rejoice because the Lord is with you. He's just trying to get all that stuff out of you that he, you know, is not serving you anyway. So they, uh, they gave to the poor. The, when they, in the celebration, they had enough to eat. They were eating and drinking, and they shared with, that, with those that did not have any. And I, the Bible does not say this, but I'm making the assumption that the reason why they shared with the poor, because that economic renewal had come first. They were like, oh, yeah, Nehemiah did say something about sharing with people who ain't got nothing. So if we're supposed to feast, yeah, come on, everybody, you get a, a lamb shank. You get a lamb shank. Everybody is, like, eating and drinking. You get a glass of wine. Everybody. And there's confession of sin and renewal of the covenant. So communal generosity yields supernatural communal renewal that has economic and spiritual ramifications. So not only does it uh, yield communal renewal, it yields communal joy. So in looking at Nehemiah chapter 12, the wall had already been built, but this is the moment that they're dedicating the wall. The work was complete, and now it was time to be enthroned in the work that they had done. It was time to dedicate that wall to God. It was uh, the Lord's work anyway. And so they're just like, you know what? This is our celebration. And y'all, I love parties. I love them. Any excuse to celebrate is good for me. New baby, new job, new spouse, new house, renovated house, new car, reupholstered car, birthday, anniversary, church holiday, national holiday, doesn't matter. I'm here for a celebration. And if you know me, you know that to be true. There's something special about gathering with a group of people for a purpose that isn't work. And the only objective is to have a good time. And in reading this passage passage in chapter 12, I was glad to see that I was not by myself. When the wall was completed and the time came to dedicate the fruit of their labor to the Lord, those Jews held nothing back and they were well within their rights. The wall was rebuilt despite external threats and internal fatigue. And child, if these folks didn't rejoice, they shook the house that day. There were choirs and cymbals and harps and singers rocking the house with their jubilant praise. The people sang and offered sacrifices to God with great joy. The text says that the joy of Jerusalem was heard far and wide that day. Let me tell you, let me repeat that. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far and wide that day. And it is my 
sincere prayer that I would look on what's happening here at East End Fellowship, that I would look on the work that God has already asked us to do and that we have joined to do and uh, joined together to do with joy, with exuberance. And then I wouldn't look at it and say, man, that don't matter. That's insignificant. No, I don't want to look back on answered prayers and think, well, I'm glad that's over with. I'm glad we made it through that and quickly rush on to other matters. I want to see every triumph. I want to see every obedience as what it is a victory won by my great and glorious God. And I want us to take time to honor God by celebrating them well. One more thing that stands out. Them Them Jews was going crazy, rejoicing over a wall. They lifted up a resounding praise that neighboring cities could hear because of a wall. To those other cities and nations, rebuilding a wall might have been an insignificant accomplishment. Maybe something to jot down in a history book for posterity's sake, but nothing major. For those crazy praising Jews, the rebuilding of the wall meant something. It meant increased protection from enemies that would try to conquer Jerusalem. It meant that their God hadn't forsaken them, even though they'd sinned against him. He still dwelt in their holy city and would continue to fight for them. And I'm assuming that after years in exile, that kind of knowledge was life-giving and joy-fueling. So let's pause and consider what insignificant accomplishment in the life of East End Fellowship is actually a testament of God's goodness and power at work. How can we celebrate those victories, those answered prayers, those achievements in such a way that our joy can be heard from far away? How can our joy be heard? How can we rejoice over giving joyfully, sacrificially, generously, and faithfully? How can we rejoice over banding together as a community to meet a significant need? How can we rejoice being a part of The hospitality team, being faithful to the worship team, we should rejoice and be joyful over that. Because, listen, we don't have the will to do that ourselves. It is God who gives us the grace to serve him. It is God who gives us the mind to serve him. And, listen, we should rejoice in that. Because, listen, if our joy can be seen or heard coming from a mile away, my neighbors and friends will start to wonder, well, what are they so happy about? Which might lead to sheesh. Well, how can I get happy like that? And when asked, we can confidently point them to the great and glorious God that gives us the victory again and again and again. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Communal generosity yields communal renewal and communal joy. I know there are many of us in this room that have been praying that we would be renewed, revived, refreshed by the Spirit of God. I know that we've been praying for God's supernatural joy to fall on us, to spring up. And we've seen pieces and pockets of this. But I believe that if we as a body, as a unit, got on one mind one accord and through our whole selves into the service of the Lord, to the mission of God, then that would yield supernatural results that we could not ever imagine. We'd be reflecting our great and generous God. Second Corinthians says, uh, chapter two, it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. 
Jesus Christ gave absolutely everything. Philippians 2 says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Our God gives and gives and gives. He gives grace. He gives power. He gives freedom. He gives again and again and again. He gives victory. He gives goodness. He gives all, everything we have comes from God. And we are made as born again believers of Jesus Christ. We are made to be more and more like God every single day by the power of the spirit. So would we join in the work? Would we yield to the work, to the mission of God? And I'm not just talking about some meta mission, go make disciples. No, if the Lord has called you to be a member here, the work is to be a part of providing multiple opportunities for every man, woman, and child in the East End to come into discipling relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the work. That's the mission. That's the specific expression for this house. Would we give our time, our talent, and our treasure fully to that? I believe that supernatural fruit will come from a generosity that is marked by unity of mind and spirit. I believe that God will bring renewal, both economic and spiritual, to this house. I believe that God will bring supernatural joy to this house. There's many scriptures that talk about joy and the people of God having joy. But what I saw overall, it wasn't just like, have joy, just be joyful. It was that God gives us, God deposits his joy in his people. So I pray that our hearts would be opened and soft to receive the joy that God wants to develop in us. I pray that we would lead yielded lives, lives that are yielded to the spirit so that we can bear the fruit of the spirit that is joy so that people can see us, hear our joy from miles away and say, yo, what can I do to be a part of that? That's a part of the mission of God. So I'd like for us to take the next couple of moments before the band sings their next song. I would ask for that we would pray for this church to be of one mind and one spirit, that we would be united in our focus on and in pursuance of the mission of God. And I would pray, I would ask that you would pray for God to send a foretaste, a concentrated foretaste of his kingdom's joy and peace to this house, to this community. So let's just take a couple couple of minutes to pray, to ask the Lord. Holy God, our Father, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. 
You are the captain of this ship. You are the master of our destiny. Lord, we come before you yielded in all of your greatness, in all of your majesty, in all of your glory, in all of your wisdom, in all of your goodness, in all of your power. We recognize that you are holding everything together by your will. You are creator of all things and sustainer of all things. God, I thank you for this community of beloved sons and daughters that you've called to be here at this place at this time. God, I pray for each one of them, a spiritual renewal, a spiritual refreshing. Lord, I pray that your spirit would raise up in them, would flow waters of uh, rivers of living water in each one of them. Lord, I pray for each person that's experiencing fatigue, that's tired of the work, that feels like the work is impossible. Lord, I pray that your spirit would stretch yourself out in them and over them. That they would be restored in your presence and that they would be strengthened by your joy. Lord, I pray for each person that's sensing the, the opposition from the outside, spiritual attack from the enemy that would frustrate our work. Lord, I pray that we would gird ourselves up like your word has taught us to do, that we would be covered with your spirit and with your power, with your word, God, that we would spend more and more time uh, listening and obeying you and dethroning the idols that we've erected in our hearts, God, so that, we are, so that we're ready for battle. So that when we're fighting, we're fighting for you, our king, and not our own wills. Lord, I pray that each individual person that's in this room, that's called to be a part of this family, that's called to be a part of this covenant community, Lord, I pray that you would unite us under the power of your of your love, by the power of your spirit, uh, by the power of your son, Jesus Christ. It is your will that we would be one as you and your son are one. So, Lord, would your spirit make us one? Would your spirit rise up within us and make us one? Lord, would you change our minds so that we have the minds of Christ? Lord, I pray that we would be on one accord in this house. When I read a scripture about people, the people of God getting on one accord, the whole earth is changed. So, Lord, would we be in step with your spirits? Would we lead yielded lives? Would we give ourselves wholly and completely to the mission of God? Would you do it, God? And, Lord, I pray for, I pray that you would send supernatural joy, supernatural renewal in our lives, in this house, and in, our, and in the lives of every family that's represented in this.